0: toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Praise the Lord for that, and please be praying for them as they begin their their new life in Christ. So lots of good stuff happening. At the same time, there is a lot of scary and sad stuff happening in our world. There are people who do horrific things, and I'm sure that we are all exhausted and discouraged by watching the news and seeing shooting after shooting. And it's, it's hard to fathom, I think, for, for most of us, hopefully for most of us, to think about someone intentionally going into a school or going into a bank or going into any kind of public place with the intent to take someone else's life. It just kind of blows our, our minds. And then closer to home, we can think about it's been almost a year since the shooting here in Newtown, the tragic death of two young boys. And then, even closer to home, personally, for me, my daughter, uh, my oldest daughter, is teaching this year. She's in her first year of, of teaching eighth grade over in Columbia, Pennsylvania, in Lancaster County. And two months ago, a, a young uh, seventh grader who was one of her students was brutally murdered, and it just rocked that whole little town to to see things like that happen. It's like, it's hard to fathom, it's hard for us. We struggle to explain how something like that could happen, but scripture actually offers us an explanation of why these things happen. And the explanation is this. The human heart is inclined and disposed to rebel against God, sometimes in big ways, like like we see in these shootings. Sometimes in much smaller ways, maybe we're, we we gossip about someone, or we deceive someone for our personal advantage, or we covet something that someone else has. All of these things—they're—they're. They're, not on the scale of murder, but they damage our relationships, they damage other people, and they are rebellion against God. If our hearts were naturally bent to obey a good God who has good laws, then what we would see in the world is people respecting each other, people um, trying to outdo one another in showing honor, But instead, what we see is conflict and we see the degrading of people and our our planet. And so Scripture's explanation for that is sin. Some people really struggle and and really just reject that explanation for what's going on in the world. Some people, and, and maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're exploring faith and you think, okay, Somebody's talking to me again about sin. I'm not really interested in that. Some people dismiss that on theological grounds, saying, I I don't believe there's a God, so therefore there can't be any absolute wrong, and so there there really isn't any sin. We, We as human beings just need to figure out what is best for the social good. Other people dismiss the idea of sin just for more pragmatic reasons, because they, they think that if somebody perceives of themselves as a sinner, then it's going to, to give them a poor self-image, and then they will have more bad behavior. So it's really not productive to think of ourselves as sinning, we should just think of ourselves as better people, and then we will behave better. So maybe you ascribed to, to one of those this morning, but what if I told you that if you believe scripture's explanation of sin and the solution for sin, that that actually leads to more good in the world. It actually does, and it actually leads us as individuals to be more at peace with ourselves than we ever could be otherwise, We're going to see how that works this morning, if you would turn with me to Romans chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there should be one on the seat close to you, and Romans 5 is on page 1043. We are in season two of our pretty much year-long series, looking at the book of Romans. Series is called Immersed in Grace. Season one was all about the righteousness of God revealed through universal condemnation. That was very heavy. Now we're into season two, the righteousness of God revealed through accessible salvation. God has made available to every one of us the ability to be rescued from condemnation. And so some of you are probably back from Easter. Maybe some of you are joining us online again from Easter. Last week, we looked at three questions that are kind of basic questions of faith. Why did Jesus die? Why do Christians seem to have this obsession with thinking about this person dying? What is the big deal about that? Second question we looked at was, what does it mean to be saved? And then the third question we looked at is, what, what does any of this have to do with me? So if you missed that message, you may wanna go back and catch that online. Today, we're gonna grapple more deeply with the idea of sin and God's solution for sin. So I, I'm gonna be straight up with you before we dive into this. Today, Is this is a very dense passage, okay? And uh, But it's incredibly hope-filled. So, you know, I, we started out really heavy here talking about sin, there's a lot of hope in what we're gonna look at here this morning even though we're talking about sin. It is very easy in these verses, These we're looking at 10 verses this morning, it's very easy to get lost in the weeds, okay? So I'm gonna tell you two things up front to help you The first is this, Paul is gonna start a thought in verse 12 that he doesn't complete until verse eight. So he kinda gets distracted and off on another point any of you who are distractible, sometimes you'll appreciate this. Every now and then, Paul gets that way. So there's this big parenthesis from verses 13 to 17, and because of that, I'm not going to do what we normally do. Normally, we will walk through just kind of verse by verse and and kind of let the passage unfold. Today, I'm going to be skipping around. So you're going to have to you're going to have to tune in. So there's no snoozing around this morning. I know it's a little warm in here, but you're going to have to stay locked in. All right. Um, the second thing I'll tell you is just the overall. of these 10 verses, and it is good news. It is this, the power of Christ's obedience overcomes the power of human disobedience. The power of Christ's obedience overcomes our human disobedience. As ugly as human disobedience is, as we see all of the mess of the world, the obedience of Christ is able to overcome that. So we begin with a snapshot of the destructiveness of sin in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, here's where we would expect Paul to say, So, and then go on to say something. I mean, he says, just as sin came into the world, so something else. He's not gonna get to that until verse 18. Okay, that's why there's a big dash there, and we're gonna he kind of leaves us hanging. What we do see here in this verse is an explanation of the blight of death on our world. So he said he explains verse 12: just as sin came into the world through one man, and death Through sin, and so death spread to all men, and that that word men can be easily translated, men and women. It's just talking about humanity, because all sinned. Let's unpack this just a little bit. When it when when he talks about one man, sin came into the world through one man, he's referring to Adam. So God gave one man one command in Genesis chapter two. He said, you can eat from any tree of the garden. Huge generosity of God, huge freedom that God gives him. You can eat from any tree in the garden except for one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The the man did eat from the tree. And, well, God said, don't eat from that tree or there will be a consequence. You will die. On the day you eat of it, you will die. So that first man and the first woman disobeyed, and so, verse 12 tells us, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Even if you're here this morning, you're listening online, you don't agree with Paul's explanation of how sin has led to to death, then you have to at least agree with one phrase here, and that is that death spread to all men. Death spread to all humanity. No one is exempt. No one escapes death. We have to agree with with that. Paul's explanation for that is that all sinned, therefore all die. We know that we all sin by our choice from a previous passage in Romans. If you can flip back just a moment to chapter 3, Verse 10, he says, it is written, none, and he's quoting from from Old Testament scriptures here, Hebrew scriptures. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So it's not just Adam who fell short. It is every one of us. And then we also see it in many other places, in Hebrew scriptures as well. 1 Kings 8 says, there is no one who does not sin. Psalm 143 says, no one living is righteous before you. Ecclesiastes 7, surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. So we all sin by choice, which puts us in the line of Adam. Adam. So we fall in line behind Adam as people who choose, willfully choose, to disobey what God has given to us. But there's something else here beyond just our willful choice to sin. Here's where we're gonna skip around a little bit. Go down to verse 19. So now we're back in Romans 5, verse 19. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man, by Adam's disobedience, the many were made sinners. There's a piece to this that is not our choice. There's a piece to this that says we were made sinners because of his choice. And we see that again in verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. There's an indication here that our corruption as human beings, our our tendency to sin is inherited. So it's not just something that we choose, it's also something that is handed down to us. Augustine was the one who coined the term original sin. Maybe you've heard that term before. Original sin is not referring to Adam disobeying God in the garden and that was the original sin. Original sin is referring to, actually, let me just give you a definition here. It's referring to the state of sin present in each human at birth that is a direct result of Adam's disobedience to God. So original sin has to do with every one of us that connected to our origin, original sin, we are predisposed to disobey what God has told us to do. And so N.T. writes, concludes this, he says, humankind is not made up of basically good people who sometimes do bad things, but rather basically flawed people whose flaws reveal themselves repeatedly in specific acts of sin. This totally flies in the face of our culture. Our culture prefers to say, no, people are basically good and they just sometimes mess, mess up. And again, it should not surprise us that scripture flies in the face of culture. It's gonna do that over and over again. And, you know, we can see who wins that argument because scripture makes a lot more sense. So we know there's different degrees of falling short of, of sin. So not, not trying to pretend or, or put um, your gossip or my gossip on the same level as going in and, and murdering people. So there are different degrees of sin. But at the end of the day, sin is sin. And when we fall short of God's perfect standard, he says, you're corrupted by that. We are all corrupted. And so what we see in this idea of original sin and that it gets passed on through Adam is that sin completely permeates and pollutes all of creation. This is the, the great tragedy that we see in our world. Sin permeates everything. And so we might say at this point, we might pause here and just say, well, how can I be held responsible? If, 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 I got, if it got passed on to me from, from my parent who got it passed on all the way back the line to Adam, and I just got passed on this predisposition to say, how can I really be held responsible for, for that? that? That's like saying, I can't control my angry outbursts. I mean, my dad was angry, or I can't control my alcoholism because my, my mom was an alcoholic and it got passed on to me. Maybe you've heard someone say that. Maybe you have said that. Paul will not have a victim mentality. He, he will not stand for it. Paul is, is he, he will say, and he is saying to us, that the predisposition to sin gets passed on down the line, and it does get inherited, and we didn't choose that, but we are responsible for the choices that we each make. And what Paul is telling us throughout this book in this letter of Romans is that it is possible to get free from that predisposition to sin, and that freedom only comes in our connection to Christ. It only comes from from being connected to him, being drowned, as it were, to that old life and living out a new life. That's the whole explanation of this book. It's not an overnight snap-your-finger process, but it is a process that he calls us to engage in and take responsibility for. What Paul is teaching us in Romans is responsibility Two words, not, not one word responsibility. That's true, too. He's teaching us response. Ability, the ability to respond differently to a same situation because we have been transformed from the inside out. So Paul will not put up with a victim mentality. I can't help it because I, this got handed to me. What else am I supposed to do? He doesn't have any room for that and he's gonna keep chipping away at that as we go. What he tells us in verse 12 is that as sin came into the world through one man, death came through sin, sin results in death, and then death reigned. We see that in verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, okay. And I'm pausing there because we're, we're going to get to the good news in a moment. Okay, all of this has been bad news so far. There's good news coming. There is a dictatorship of death. We, we don't know what it's like, most of us don't know what it's like to live under a dictator. A, a dictator gives you no freedom to make decisions for yourself. Your, your decisions and your future are dictated by someone else. That's what Paul says, our future is dictated by death and sin. So that's bleak. I mean, how, how can we escape from that? Let's have some good news. All right, verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men and women, all humanity, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So we're born into a line behind Adam but there is a second line that we are able to get into. We can transfer from the line of Adam to get in line behind the second Adam, who is Christ, who undid by his obedience all of the damage that Adam created because of his disobedience. We're gonna jump back now to verse 15, okay? The free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. and sin by transferring from the line of Adam that we're born into to get in line behind Christ. And right about now, I hope you're asking the question, how do I make that transfer? Because I wanna be in line, I don't wanna be under dictatorship anymore. Hold that question, we're gonna come back to it, all right? But I want you to pause for a moment here, and I want you to ponder the incomprehensible capacity of Jesus. Look at verse 16 again, the second half of verse 16. The judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. It's not hard for us to imagine the pollution of sin spreading throughout all of humanity because we see pollution spreading through, through humanity now. We see it in the form of germs, right? We, we know that when somebody gets a cold and then comes into a setting like this and they cough and they sneeze and stuff what do we do i mean we'd like move away like get up and like move away i don't i don't want any of that because we know that germs easily spread and so they they kind of spread and can infect a whole room potentially what's astounding here so that's not hard to to imagine what staggers our mind is to think that the cure for the germs or the cure for sin, the righteousness of one could cure everyone, that that could spread. We're not used to cures spreading that way. We're used to diseases spreading. But the power of Christ and what he has accomplished in his achievement of righteousness and obedience is able to spread and is able, we read in verse 16, the free gift following many trespasses, brought justification. And, and that, remember that word justification simply means that we are made right with God. The power of Christ is to make us right with God despite the pollution of sin. I, just, I have to pause here and just say, this, this is further evidence, if you need any further evidence, that Jesus has to be more than just a special human being. Jesus is more than just someone that God sent to earth as a special prophet and said, I've I've got a special job for you to do. Because if he was just a mortal person, and, and let's say he lived a perfect life, he might die and offer himself as a sacrifice. That might undo the sin of one person. That might be the exchange for one person. He is the exchange for billions of people. Only God can do that. Only God come in a human body could be the substitute and the sacrifice to infect, as it were, justification and righteousness and cleansing and life for billions of people. So we can pray to him and we can praise him because he is God. I love what John Calvin said, Christ is much more powerful to save than Adam was to ruin. Another way to say that is that the grace of Christ is greater than all our sin. The grace of Christ is greater than all our sin, not just any of our sin, because that might refer to to one sin over here, but then there's a sin over here that's really bad, and we're we're not sure if, if his grace is enough for that or the accumulation of all the sins. Not sure if he can take care of that, no. Paul's telling us that the grace of Christ is greater than all of our sin. And that means his grace is greater than all of your sin. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, take great hope, all you who are sinners. You don't have to deny your sin. You don't have to pretend it's not, Not that bad. Jesus' power to overcome sin is not limited. Let me just give you one little instance of that. We we talked at the beginning of the message about the, the Newtown shooting almost a year ago. Can I just tell you one little sliver of grace? It's not a little sliver. It's a huge demonstration of God's grace is that when that shooting happened, God opened up such a door for for Jeremy to minister and others of our our youth leaders to minister in our community. And we had an inrush and explosion of students, teens, in those weeks following that tragedy. And today, there are still teens attending church. Some of them have trusted Christ. Some of them have come to faith in Christ. Some of them are continuing to come. They haven't yet taken that step of trusting Christ, but we're praying and and they are getting loved on week after week and they're sitting under hearing the the truth of the gospel. That's a demonstration of how God's grace can flood in even to a, a tragic, horrific situation that we would never choose and we would never want to repeat, but God's grace is greater. The power of grace is abundant. I want to, just, I want to highlight some phrases here from what we've read from verses 15 to 17. So we're gonna put these on on the screen because I went, oh, wow, they're small. Okay, that's okay. Because the ones that are in blue, I just want you to see the abundance of grace. The free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through the one man's trespass, that's bad news, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. We don't have time to talk about reigning in life right now, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Um, So... uh, So it's looking forward to the end when, and Paul doesn't say a lot about this, but we see it in Revelation that we will be reigning with with Christ. We will fulfill what God asked us to do in the first place when he said, have dominion over creation. Only we will do it without exploiting the creation and without, I wanna use the word raping, and I'm gonna say that. We, we, We won't rape the creation and use it for our own good. We will We will exercise authority over it in justice and in righteousness as God intended from the beginning. But here's the other thing that I think that phrase is referring to. We can reign in life in that we are no longer dominated by sin and death, and Paul's gonna unpack in the weeks to come what that looks like. How do we get victory in our lives over the sins that plague us? So, grace is abundant. It's like a tidal wave washing away the sandcastle of your sin. Grace is like a tidal wave, immersed in grace, washing away the sandcastle of your sin. And Paul's not done talking about abundance. Let's finish chapter five, verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. The word there for for grace abounded is, is actually one word in the Greek and it means super abounded. It's a word that doesn't appear anywhere else in ancient Greek literature. Apparently, Paul made it up. He had to make up a word to describe this and it would make sense that he would have to make up a word because the world has never seen anything like this before. The grace of Christ is greater than all our sin. I have to share my favorite example of, one of my favorite examples of Jesus' super abundance in scripture so that we can kind of see how this applies to, to what we're talking about here this morning. One of my favorite scenes in scripture is John chapter six when Jesus feeds the multitude. And so we just watched the, uh, the last episode of The Chosen for season three, and we saw that, how they portrayed that. It was really, really cool. And so... What, what I love about that story, and this all kind of got opened up to me recently just in one of our small groups. This is, this is a value of small groups. Like I'm usually standing here talking to you, but man, i learned so much in our small groups and we were talking about this scene in there. It's just, I haven't been able to get past it since then in a really good way. So what I love about that scene is that Jesus takes five loaves and two fishes, and he multiplies them to feed probably upwards of 15 to 20,000 people. But that's not what really impresses me. I mean, that's really cool, but what really impresses me is that there are 12 baskets left over. So he, he fed all of these people, which is miraculous in itself, but then there were leftovers, and the baskets weren't just half full, The baskets were full. Jesus is not just barely able to overcome your superabundance of sin. He is able to wash it away in a tidal wave and there is more grace left over than you need. Paul says God's grace is superabundant and the end result in verse 21 Grace abounded all the more so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You may be here this morning and you may feel like you're a super abundant screw up. You may look back at your life and say, wow, this is such a mess. Nobody could make anything good out of this. There's good news. God's grace is super abundant beyond whatever you may have done. So Paul tells us how to transfer from the line of Adam to the line of Christ. He tells us that in verse 17. He says, those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Christ Jesus. How do we transfer? From the line of Adam to the line of Christ, we admit our own bent to sin. And then we acknowledge that we need his grace. So, whatever, and here's good news for many of you who have have already come to that realization and invited Christ into your life if there's still a sin, habit that keeps hanging on to you you're like I just cannot get past this Paul is going to show us how the Christ super abundance of grace is able to free us from that so that we can truly truly live so we're going to talk more about that next week it starts with trusting God your grace is greater than all my sin i hope you will personalize that for yourself this week when you come up against that that Thing, whatever that habit is, whatever that tendency is that you have and you're struggling with, um, I hope that you will say, God, your grace is greater than all my sin. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your super abundance of grace. We thank you that after you have taken care of our need, there is still grace left over and that your grace washes away the the sandcastle of our sin by your tidal wave and your flood of grace. Lord, may we reach out, may we receive it. May we be humble enough to admit that we need it. I pray for the person here this morning who is wanting to experience life. May they recognize that you are the giver of life. You are the redeemer of life. And may you bring that new life to them this morning, and to all of us as we continue walking with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.